0: Batman and the Marvel family. Welcome to FW Team Up, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Siskoid. And I'm Chris Franklin. Taking you through a television team up classic. Batman the Brave and the Bold Season 2 finale, The Malicious Mr. Mind, which aired on April 8th. 2011, and Chris, this is the first time the show tackles media other than a comic book. So
1: I brought something new to the show, so there you go.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's a a show that I do enjoy. I haven't seen every episode because I'm sort of keeping it. You know, I've got all the DVDs and sort of watching a few at a time so that it lasts longer. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, Have you seen the whole thing?
1: Oh yeah, this was a big, this was a family event every week when a new Brave and the Bold came on because my son was just the right age that he really loved it. You know, and I mean, it was perfect for him because like most of the animated series, that the DC animated series, it was, you know, there was enough in it for adults to keep them interested, but it was also, you know, geared towards kids. And this one was a little more geared toward, I think, a little younger audience than say the Bruce Timm stuff you know, uh, so yeah, it was must-see, you know, appointment TV when it was on new, and uh, although Andrew really disliked the uh, finale of the show and still gripes about it to this day. Have you ever seen the finale?
0: Not yet. Okay,
1: I'll shut up. Never
0: mind. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I mean, for us older nerds, just the fact that it it uses all these older or more obscure characters, uh, really delves into the history of the DC universe and doesn't care if it it goes to silly places. I think is is what part of the joy for us,
1: right? Yeah, it's this show is definitely they had a seance and channeled Bob Haney into this show. I think. Oh yeah, so.
0: <laughs> it's well named. It's it is brave and the bold. So each episode of FW Team Up, one panelist picks one character to defend, and so in this case, Chris, what's your choice?
1: I have chosen the Marvel family,
0: and so I will take Batman. This is a Marvel family Batman team up versus the uh, Monster Society of Evil, with Mr. Mind really at the center. uh, That's why he's in the title. As is customary, we'll preface with a reason, or reasons why we like the characters we've chosen. So, Chris, what's so great about the Marvel family?
1: Well, the real reason I picked the Marvel family and I suggested this episode was because they have a tremendous potential for a kids' animated show. It amazes me that apparently no one... At Cartoon Network, which is part of Warner Brothers, which owns DC, has seen this and seen this potential and done something about it. Uh, other than some segments on the kid superpower hour with Shazam nearly 40 years ago and a few guest spots like this, no one has you know, said, oh, wow, that would make a great TV show for, you know, a kid's cartoon network because it's instant wish fulfillment. I mean, you have three characters that a kid can identify with that change into superheroes. It's light. It's whimsical. It's tailor-made for Cartoon Network. So that was the primary reason. There was actually a pitch made almost 20 years ago at this point by none other than Alex Ross, uh, who designed a very cartoony looking Marvel family and pitched it to WB and nothing came of it. So, unfortunately. Uh, so Alex Ross gets it, but, you know, Cartoon Network, Warner Brothers doesn't get it.
0: It's the Marvel word is the problem.
1: Well, that's, that's true too. They, they, they have to rename the characters. Yeah. There's also like a, there's a more personal connection too, because a few years ago, uh, after my grandmother passed away, my grandfather had passed away years before and, They were going through their things, and in a toolbox in my grandfather's work shed, they found a Mary Marvel watch (laughs) from the 40s. Now, the only thing we could figure—my mom had passed away by then, too— the only thing we could figure was that this was probably my mom's watch, and that my grandfather intended to repair it and just never got around to it or couldn't. Uh, Now, it's possible he found it somewhere else, and it's not her watch, but my mom was— a comic fan, she was a big fan of the Adventures of Superman TV show. So I don't have confirmation on that, but I just like to assume that that was my mom's Mary Marvel watch. And I have it in, of course, in my collection of stuff. And uh, so that made it me understand how popular and important these characters were. I mean, I'd heard they were, they were more popular than Superman for many years, but this kind of cemented that and it made it more personal to me. So I've I've kind of, I kind of like to defend them when I can because of that.
0: (laughs) There's quite a lot of vintage Shazam stuff out there because uh, my podcasting mates, Marty and uh, Nut once gave me a a button, you know, a lapel pin. Mm Mm-hmm. That had uh, Captain Marvel on it and was like vintage forties. Oh wow! And uh, sadly, I had it on a jacket, and I left the jacket on a shopping cart because it was getting too hot, and I, you know, I lost that jacket with a couple of pins on it, including that one. Oh man! <laughs> oh,
1: you just killed me.
0: <laughs> I'm heartbroken, but um, so I tried to look for another one, you know, to replace it, but uh, never have. Oh man, that's that's rough.
1: Yeah, they were really, I mean, there was a lot, uh, there was almost, I know there was some Superman merchandise early on, like late 30s, very early 40s, but there wasn't a whole lot of any DC merchandise throughout the rest of the decade, other than, you know, if you include the Marvel family now, because of course that was through Fawcett. And there was, I mean, there were paper airplanes, there were little figurines, there were stuffed dolls, there were all sorts of stuff. They were really ahead of the curve with the merchandising. So, why did you pick Batman?
0: Well, he's the only choice left. But, uh, (laughs) no, one good thing about Batman, and, I mean, we return to Batman very often, but one of the great things about Batman, as this series shows, is that He can fit any number of tones and genres, uh, you know, from the dark and gritty to the the light and humorous like this. Batman in the future or in the past, the uh, the detective, the street fighter, the international man of mystery, the the disguise artist, the philanthropist, the camp comedy figure, the monster who strikes fear into the hearts of. Criminals, uh, the, the superhero on par with the rest of the Justice League. The team player, the driven loner, he's been reinvented so many times. You know, we're basically ready to accept almost any version of the character uh, in almost any setting, any else world, any, and Brave and the Bold is such a, a great example of that where in the movies and in, you know, uh, even the, the the Bruce Timm stuff, we have a, a like a dark Avenger of the Night and a sort of film noir kind of feel and things can get pretty violent. And then we have... This show, which is, you know, on par with the 1966 series, as far as tone goes, and it's great, and we immediately accept it, and that's not a Batman that we go, oh, no, that's not my Batman, you know? We, everybody right. seems to embrace that cartoon the same way they embraced the Bruce Tim series. Uh, which is arguably the, the best animated Batman, or, you know, one of the best Batman iterations for other media ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet we also accept this Batman as probably, you know, on par with it, where other Batman cartoons did not necessarily do so well, like The Batman or Beware the Batman.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Those weren't runaway hits. But these two series, which are, you know, very much opposed uh, in tone, you know, are two versions of Batman that. People embrace and accept. So that's what I like about Batman. You can put Batman into anything, and the concept still works.
1: And they do in this series. They put him in about every situation imaginable.
0: <laughs> and in this, as we'll see, Batman. Uh, we we get uh, several Batman because we've got a teen Batman. We've got a kid Batman. We have got a baby Batman uh, because of a, a youth rate. We'll we'll get into the details soon. Mm-hmm. But th- this is this is so much kind of. Uh, taken from a comic right the well this the sort of storyline
1: right there was an infamous story called Batman becomes bat baby from Batman number <laughs> 147 may 1962 this was toward the end of the uh the last couple of years of the uh, the Silver Age you know wacko transformation alien invasion Batman stories that that Sheldon Moldoff drew every single <laughs> one mm-hmm. of, <laughs> yeah, you know, signed Bob Kane. Yeah. This was, uh, there's this, if you Google it, there's this hilarious image of Robin and Bat Baby swinging in through a skylight. And, and, you know, Bat Baby is, you know, he's got little, uh, overalls on and, you know, <laughs> it's, it's. <laughs> It's hilarious, yeah. I I'm sure Grant Morrison made this canon. I I'm not I haven't read all that, but I, I know he that was his intention to make everything count. And so I'm sure he went back and made sure this was canon at some point.
0: Well I think the way it works. I, I've read the Morrison run, and I think the way it works is that at the very least, these stories are part of a hallucination. Right, that Batman sort of had. So This is the first time we tackle an episode of Batman the Brave and the Bold on the show. So uh, let's give some, the folks at home some, uh, you know, a few details on the series. As the title suggests, the cartoon focuses on Batman's regular team-ups with various heroes, similar to the original comic book series. It premiered on November 14th, 2008, on Cartoon Network in the United States, and ended on November 11th. 2011, spawning 65 episodes over the course of three seasons, during which he teamed up uh, with well over 100 heroes from the DC Universe. Most of the episodes are structured with a short, cold-open team-up before the opening sequence, which may or may not have anything to do, literally or thematically, with the episode's longer story. Batman was voiced by Diedrich uh, Bader from The Drew Carey Show. You might remember him from that. Yep, yep. The show spun off into a comic book series of team-ups in the same cartooning style. Uh, that launched in 2008, and after 22 issues, was turned into the all-new Batman, The Brave and the Bold, restarting at number one and lasting another 16 issues, ending in early 2012, a few months after the TV series itself. And I, I must say, in the same style, tone, and you know, generally very likable stories. Now, Batman himself, as a character, needs no introduction. Let's talk about the Marvel family's publication history, Chris. Okay, all right, everybody. Pull up a chair, because... <laughs> this is, I guess this is the part of the team-up where I go fight my own battle on the, on the side somewhere, and <laughs> there are a few pages just of Chris. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. I tried to condense it down, but I, I just couldn't, so so I'll, I'll try to use the speed of Mercury to, to go through this uh, quickly. Uh <laughs> Captain Marvel debuted in Wiz Comics No. 2, cover dated February 1940, from Fawcett Publications, the creation of writer Bill Parker and artist C.C. Beck. Orphan newsboy Billy Batson is given the powers of ancient heroes and gods by saying the name of the old wizard, Shazam! A few months prior, Fawcett had published a similar Captain Thunder in an Ashcan edition of what they called Flash Comics No. 1. But rival publisher All-American Comics, later to become part of DC Comics, beat them to that title. It wouldn't be the last time DC dogged the Captain's success. Captain Marvel, as he was of course named, proved instantly popular and quickly picked up his own solo title, Captain Marvel Adventures, beginning the following year. The Captain gained a young ally and a crippled newsboy Freddie Freeman when the Wizard granted him similar powers in Wiz Comics number 25, dated December 1941. Junior's origin continued over to Master Comics number 22 in one of the first storylines to cross multiple titles. Junior maintained a home in Master Comics for the remainder of its run, with many of his early adventures drawn in a beautifully illustrative style by Mac Rayboy. The next year, the Marvel family grew by one more, with Billy's sister Mary gaining superpowers and becoming Mary Marvel in Captain Marvel Adventures number 18, cover dated December 1942. Courtesy of writer Otto Bender and artist Mark Swayze, Mary would get her own solo strip that ran for many years in Wow Comics. The Marvel family became one of the biggest stars in comics golden age, with Captain Marvel often outselling Superman. This caught the ire of DC slash National Comics, as they were then known, who sued Fawcett, stating that the Captain was too close in concept and execution to their Man of Steel. The case dragged on in and out of court for years, while hundreds of comics featuring the Marvels continued to enthrall readers, both young and old, especially servicemen, overseas. The Marvels were so popular, in fact, that they headlined one of the last new superhero comics of the golden age titled simply The Marvel Family, debuting with a December 1945 cover date. December was a big month for the Marvel family, apparently. This title (laughs) featured team-up adventures of the three heroes, along with their comic relief uncle, Dudley, who sometimes posed as the unpowered Uncle Marvel. The Marvel family continued publication into the 50s, while many other superheroes dropped out of sight due to the popularity of crime, war, romance, western, and horror comics. But sales flagged enough that Fawcett finally gave in to DC's constant lawsuits and agreed to cease publication of all titles featuring the Marvels. The Marvel family title was the last holdout and the final issue, dated January 1954, had an oddly prophetic cover showing a young boy looking at the blank silhouettes of all three Marvels asking, Holy moly, what happened to the Marvel family? The characters lay dormant for nearly 20 years, with many imitators and namesakes published in the intervening time, including a new Captain Marvel from, appropriately enough, Marvel Comics, who scooped the name up just to more or less protect their own brand. Which is why when DC, the very company who put the Marvel family under, revived them in 1972, they had to call their title Shazam! In the February 1973 debut issue, artist C.C. Beck returned to tell the tale of how the Marvels and all of their foes were caught in suspended animation thanks to a mishap by their archenemy, Dr. Savannah. The first issue was one of the first true speculator comics, with many retailers overordering and fans over-buying the books, just for potential investment purposes. The magic lightning didn't strike twice, however. Beck balked at what he called the infantile approach that editor Julius Schwartz and writers Denny O'Neill and Elliot S. Magan took in an attempt to mimic the fun and whimsy of the Golden Age. Beck left the book, and DC gave it a quarterly reprint status just to hold on to the licensing deal they had with Fawcett. The advent of the live-action Shazam TV series in 1974, produced by Filmation and starring Jackson Bostwick as Captain Marvel and Michael Gray as Billy, goosed sales enough for DC to increase the book's frequency again. They also briefly followed the show's format, having Billy travel across the country with Uncle Dudley, filling in for the TV show's mysterious mentor character. The Shazam! TV series was a huge hit, but it eschewed many of the comic book trappings, including Junior, Mary, and even the old wizard. Jackson Boswick was replaced in the second season by John Davey, and the show picked up a different family member in Isis, who had her own half-hour show that often crossed over with Shazam! The show eventually ran its course, and DC Shazam! title was finally laid to rest with issue number 35, the last two issues featuring a new, more modern art style thanks to Alan Weiss and Don Newton. Newton continued with writer E. Nelson Bridwell when the Captain was moved over to a run in World's Finest and finally the Digest version of Adventure Comics. After that, the Marvels were once again homeless, relegated to guest star status and titles like DC Comics Presents and All-Star Squadron. They fared better on TV with Captain Marvel and comic foes Dr. Savannah and Aunt Minerva appearing on the two Legends of the Superheroes TV specials that aired in 1979 and produced by Hanna-Barbera. Filmation returned to the characters in 1981, creating a series of animated Shazam segments for inclusion in their live-action-slash-animated Saturday morning hybrid show, The Kid's Superpower Hour, with Shazam. The entire Marvel family was on hand, as well as their arch-foes, in a series of episodes that were surprisingly faithful to the comic source material. A young Paul Dini, later to go to fame on Batman the Animated Series, provided some of those scripts. The Marvels also appeared in Crisis on Infinite Earths in 1985, where their homeworld, designated as Earth-S among the DC multiverse, was folded into the new, consolidated DC Earth. It was around this time that DC bought the Marvels and Fawcett's other superhero characters outright as well. Captain Marvel got a new lease on life with appearances in the Legends crossover event the following year and membership in the brand new Justice League, courtesy of Keith Giffen, J.M.D. Mateus, and Kevin McGuire. Roy and Dan Thomas and artist Tom Mandrake launched the Shazam! The New Beginning miniseries, It told the backstory of this new, darker take on The Captain, but although it had decent sales, it never had a proper follow-up outside of a brief sequel in Action Comics Weekly. The Captain was again relegated to guest star roles until Jerry Ordway produced the hardcover graphic novel The Power of Shazam in 1994, a subsequent series followed in 1995, written by Ordway and drawn by Peter Krause. This series steadily reintroduced the entire Marvel cast, including Junior and Mary, whose backstories and characterization were kept pretty faithful to the original while updating their trappings for modern audiences. Power of Shazam was a fan favorite, but only lasted 47 issues. Superstar artist Alex Ross became a champion for Captain Marvel, making him a prominent figure in his and Mark Waid's Kingdom Come and one of four DC heroes spotlighted in their giant treasury editions with writer Paul Dini. There's him again. Aside from stints in the JSA for Captain Marvel, the Teen Titans and Young Justice for Junior, and the Super Buddies, the former Justice League International, for Mary, the Marvel soon fell on hard times. The less said about DC's attempts to completely destroy the characters and their upbeat nature in subsequent years, the better. Although there were bright spots like Billy Batson in The Magic of Shazam, young readers title. In the new 52, DC finally caved and just gave up the Captain Marvel moniker altogether, calling their new angsty Billy Batson simply Shazam. The Marvels continue to occasionally appear in animation, with the Captain making memorable appearances on Justice League Unlimited and Young Justice, as well as the direct-to-video short feature Superman Shazam! The Return of Black Adam. A live-action Shazam! film that's long been in development hell in Hollywood, and as of right now, it looks like it may actually get made, after Marvel Studios releases their own Captain Marvel film. Some guys just can't catch a break. (laughs)
0: <laughs> it's a long and complicated history, but I'm I'm glad you uh, you went through it in its entirety. I mean, uh, the Marvel family has had you know, a lot of legal tangles that caused this restarts and reboots and trying to get it right. You know, it's one of those properties that seems I don't know. It seems to escape most comics writers. Yeah, I don't know.
1: It- it's just, it's, it's like that magic formula. It cannot be recreated. It's like, uh, it's like Captain America Super Soldier formula. It cannot be properly recreated or something. They just haven't quite unlocked it. They've come close like the Jerry Ordway, the Pyro Shazam and, and some of the Alex Ross stuff. But yeah, it's, it's been hard to replicate and it's, it's amazing because they were so popular in the forties and so many of the other characters that were popular then have. Been revived and have you know remained relevant and popular, but it, it's just a shame that through various, like you said, various legal reasons, really, they've stumbled and they've never quite regained their ground.
0: I'm glad you mentioned the kids super. Uh, what is it? Kids Superpower Hour with Shazam. Yeah. because that was my first. That was my first Captain Marvel story. Oh. It's, yeah, I remember that uh, show quite well. And uh, you know, at that time, it was like early '80s. How often would you get to see a a Captain Marvel or a Shazam comic on the stands right? You know, almost never you know even in uh, DC Comics Presents the team-up book I think Superman teams up with Captain Thunder instead yeah <laughs> it's, it's something yeah, like that yeah
1: at one point he does yeah yeah, yeah.
0: so uh, you never saw that character really because he, he didn't have his own series uh, in the 80s so the, the cartoon was basically my first uh, look at that character the you know all the 70s stuff I was too young for or too French for
1: oh gotcha (laughs) yeah I I first met him on the with the live action tv show and it was probably I think it was one of those cases where I'm probably too young to remember like really remember the first run but it you know stayed on the air a few years beyond the new episodes basically and reruns and and then I think there was one particular year where they brought it back on for a few months I think like 1980 or something like that so that's probably when I really uh you know I remembered it a little bit but that's when I really got to watch it and of course it's an interesting take on it but the the cartoon's a lot more faithful to the comic book but they use the same theme music which is interesting
0: well let's get into the malicious Mr. Mind written by Danny McKelly and directed by Michael Chang and Michael Goggin Dr. Savannah has stolen a big lens component for a machine he means to build. But Batman is on the scene. Savannah can't get a bean on him with his peculiar science gun. A smart man would have known he couldn't defeat the Batman alone. But Savannah is a smart man. He's brought friends. Oom the Mighty, Crocodile Man, Mr. Adam, King Cull, Jeepers, and Ibeck the Cursed, the Monster Society of Evil. They easily handle Batman, but then Wiz TV news arrives on the scene.
1: At their home, young Billy and Mary Batson enjoy a swell lunch of hot dogs and lemonade on their terrace when their friend, newsboy Freddie Freeman, arrives. Freddie jokingly announces a news story that he's working on that recaps the Marvel family's origins. The kids then notice Batman's battle with their greatest foes broadcast on Wiz TV. They say the magic words, and we don't mean please and thank you. Billy and Mary shout, Shazam! while Freddy utters, Captain Marvel. The magic lightning bolts from the sky and transforms them into Captain Marvel, Mary Marvel, and Captain Marvel Jr, respectively. Batman fights valiantly, but the sheer number of foes overwhelms him. He is freed from Mr. Adam's steely grip by the arriving Marvels. Savannah orders the big red cheese and his allies turned into Swiss, and a superpowered powered slobber knocker ensues. The Marvels and Batman swiftly take out their brawny foes, leaving only the brainy Savannah standing. The malevolent mastermind pulls out his age-reversing youth ray and fires at the Marvels, who instinctively fly out of the way.
0: But the de-aging ray hits Batman instead.
1: Junior destroys Savannah's weapon, but the evil genius throws a grenade that disables the Marvels long enough for he and the monster society to get away in an escape rocket. Mary looks after the fallen Cape Crusader to see if he is okay.
0: Batman turns around. He's a teenager.
2: Holy moly!
1: Later, at their secret headquarters in downtown Fawcett City, Savannah berates his monster Society of Evil for failing to do their part in stealing the components for his proposed giant death ray. Then, a mysterious large shadow crosses the Society's meeting table, and an equally mysterious voice emanates from its source. This powerful voice blames Savannah's poor leadership for the Society's failures and claims he can increase the death ray's power by a hundredfold. Savannah warns him he'd still have to contend with the Marvel family, but the voice assures him his powers of mind control would have them defeating themselves. The society votes for this newcomer to take over the leadership role from Savannah, and their new chairman stands
0: revealed as the world's wickedest worm, Mr. Mind. Meanwhile, Batman is dealing with things even more terrible. A pimple on his cheek! His voice breaking and blushing at Mary Marvel's compliments. Batman explains his plan to stop the Monster Society, which he deduces is going to hit specific labs to get other components for the weapon Savannah is working on. Next stop, the Faucet City Super Collider.
1: The Monster Society steals a fusion chamber from the facility, but Savannah questions what use it would have in a death ray. Mr. Mine insults Savannah's ability to grasp his plan, but the arrival of the Marvels puts an end to their squabbling momentarily. Mine tells Savannah to keep them busy while he flies off with his tiny jetpack. Captain Marvel demands that Savannah reveal how to reverse the youth ray's effects on Batman, but the sly Savannah just jokes about it being past the Dark Knight's bedtime.
2: The
0: Batmobile comes spinning into view as if driven by someone without a license. A preteen Batman leaps out of the car, ready for action. He dodges the powerful punch of Oom um the Mighty,
1: who then takes his aggression out on the world's mightiest mortal. Cap fights back and orders Mary to tackle the Crocodile Man but unbeknownst to either of them, Mr. Mind enters Mary's ear and takes control of her mind. Mary is none too happy about being bossed around and reminds her brother she's actually three seconds older while King Cole pummels him. Batman notices their squabbling but doesn't see Mr. Mind leave Mary's body and enter Junior's ear. Suddenly, the world's mightiest boy is also tired of taking orders from his former hero and decks him one.
0: Batman shrinks down to the size of a child and warns the Marble family to stop acting like babies before using bat-bombs to disable Oom, Kinko, and Ibeck.
1: As Junior and Senior Captain continue to battle, Mr. Mind flies into the ear of the Big Red Cheese, who calls his allies leeches, and uses Junior as a bat to swat Mary into a nearby building. The Marvels engage in a full-on family feud, ignoring Batman's protests and destroying a good chunk of Fawcett City as the Monster Society makes off with the fusion chamber. Mr. Mind leaves Cap's ear and flies to the escape truck, gloating to Savannah that he bested him in defeating the Marvels.
0: Kid Batman tricks Captain Marvel Jr. into saying Captain Marvel, and down comes the lightning. Changing all three Marvels back into their human forms,
1: but the sting of their words and actions remain. With their family dynamic destroyed, all three go their separate ways, with little Batman wondering just who is going to help him defeat the Monster Society. The Dark Knight bawls like a baby. The former Marvel family faces the next day alone, a forlorn Freddy sells his papers, a maudlin Mary plays alone on a seesaw, and a bewildered Billy stares at the empty chair across his checkerboard.
0: Kid Batman observes them and decides to catalyze the reconciliation process of the Marvel family. He sends to each member in turn a child's drawing, his own, of the family fighting with a sad Batman looking on. Back at the Monster Society's
1: lair, Mr. Mind completes his death ray. An unimpressed Savannah decides to test it on his rival and blasts him with its full power. The wicked worm begins to grow and mutate to monstrous proportions, his formerly humorous appearance becoming horrific. The kaiju caterpillar admits that this was his plan all along before beginning to terrorize downtown
0: Fawcett City. Toddler Batman stands up to the giant worm, but before Mr. Mind can plunge a claw into the dark night tot
1: Captain Marvel flies to the rescue, followed by Junior and then Mary who paced the massive Mr. Mind in his mandibles. The Marvels thank Batman for reuniting their family, while the Kid Crusader shows them that he has lost a tooth. Mind recoups and blasts the heroes with energy beams from his brain. Bat-Tot asks the Marvels to keep Mind busy while he formulates a plan.
0: Batman comes flying in on bat wings, firing a weapon in Mind's face, drawing him back to the society's lair and the growth ray. There, Batman punches a button on the controls before de-aging once again, this time into a baby. Bat-baby is nevertheless able to fire the ray at Mr. Mind, shrinking back down to size. The
1: Marvels fly in and pick up the tiny Bat-baby and lament that while he saved the day, he couldn't save himself. Even as an infant, Batman proves he's got more wisdom than Solomon, pointing and cooing the Marvels toward the growth ray. One blast returns Batman to his adult self, Although Mary is sorry to see his younger cuter version go, Batman responds that he prefers adulthood as his
0: voice cracks and that's the malicious Mr. Mind what did you think of this uh, episode Chris
1: oh I, I thought you know this is this this is a lot of fun I mean this the the tone of this one's actually a little bit lighter than even the usual light tone of the series I mean it's it's got that gee golly gee whiz type of 40s, 50s uh, feel about it. The kids are very much of their original Golden Age time. They're dressed, the way they act, but it's it fits in perfectly with the kind of sense of humor that the Brave and the Bold show has. So, yeah, it's it's such a nice vehicle for the entire Marvel family. I, you know, it's it's one of the rare times that Mary and Junior get to appear along with Captain Marvel since the uh, the kids' superpower hour with Shazam. So, uh, it, it was a real treat to uh to see them and and i enjoyed uh revisiting a lot it's it's a fun one
0: and uh, really a tribute to those original comics even the way billy and the captain are are drawn with the like the tiny eyes very cc mm-hmm. C. beck you know it like it, they're off format as far as the brave and the bold show goes it's like pushing it towards the original art style
1: yeah all the marvel characters uh and Dr. Savannah, he's very much the C.C. Beck model, too. Yeah, the, there's less of, of a defined look for Junior and Mary, so they could kind of play around with that, but yeah, Captain Marvel looks like he stepped right off of a C.C. Beck drawing, which is yeah, that, that doesn't surprise me, because uh, a lot of the, the characters on the Brave and the Bold, uh, the Batman characters are based a lot on the Dick Sprang version, because producer James Tucker was a big, huge fan of Dick Sprang, and and like the Joker, for instance, is is dead on. Dick Frank Joker, and oddly enough, Jeff Bennett, who voiced the Joker on this series, voices Captain Marvel. So nice connection there. But yeah, it's that's one thing I really liked about this show was just the visual approach. It was uh it was more open ended. As much as I love the Bruce Timm style, this show was more open to kind of interpreting the comic book look of each character and somehow making it work within the framework it was just more loose they made it hang together somehow
0: but before discussing the story itself we should mention the cold open because uh, we didn't cover it it's not part of the same team up uh, but you know before the the theme music comes on Batman actually is in the middle of a team up with Commandy last boy on earth we should at least mention that part of it because it's a in the same way that CC Beck is paid homage to in the main story it's really like a Jack Kirby tribute in the first part.
1: Oh yeah, Commandy showed up on this show quite a bit and I I was kind of wondering if they weren't trying to to uh, pitch a Commandy spin-off series which I would have loved that. I mean, I think mm. that would have that would have been great. I mean, can you uh, I mean, what kid wouldn't want a Dr. Canis action figure, you know, a, a, a humanoid dog action figure, you know? Uh, it it seems that's another concept that's like ready-made for a, a kid show, you know. I mean, I I I can't believe it's it's gone this long without somebody doing something with it. But uh Commandy is another example of they didn't really even bother, you know, with a lot of story details, kinda like Bob Haney wouldn't. Batman just somehow you know, command in this case, Commandy ends up in, in modern times, in Batman's time, and a lot and most of the the team ups, you know, Batman's in Commandy's post-great-disaster future. It feels just like a Brave and the Bold Bob Haiti comic.
0: <laughs> I mean, no real explanation. Uh, you know, just, uh, if you never need me again, just uh, go through the Justice Portal. What? Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, and it is a, a very, uh, you know, there's a statue of Jack Kirby in the park that looks like him. Mm-hmm. The villain, Misfit, is from commanding No. 9, a very obscure character, obviously. Yeah, it, it's a fun little bit about uh, getting a power source for a gadget to stop Misfit and and it's quickly resolved, which is basically what the cold open usually does. It just like tells you that, that Batman has had so many more adventures and you're only seeing a tiny part of them. So that's always fun. Yes, getting back to Captain the Marvel family, the Monster Society in this that was part of my joy of watching. Uh, This episode because they really went and combined different versions of the Monster Society that we've seen through the comics. When I started reading All Star Squadron with number 47, it's very late in the run, and then I went back and got all the rest. Number 47 was like Dr. Fate Origin, and then the next storyline was a Monster Society of Evil storyline where Mr. Mind comes across from Earth S to Earth 2 and creates a team of villains using, well, Roy Thomas used some very obscure villains from the Golden Age, people who had only shown up like once ever, uh, and as Roy Thomas will do, and, <laughs> and and made it like a first Monster Society that would have predated the Earth-S, or the, you know, the Faucet Monster Society. So in this, Um the Mighty is actually a Spectre villain that only appeared once way back in uh, All-Star number three. Wow. And he was part of that group. Along with uh, you know, Mister Who and uh, uh, Nyola, and I mean different characters from the DC universe. So Oom um in this, since he is so obviously a monster, is included in a group of faucet you know comics characters uh, like the Crocodile Man and uh, Mister Adam. And, yeah, yeah, ex- yeah Mister Adam looks really cool. Uh, Jeepers in this is a bit a bit strange, and none of them are really named. You know, in the course of the episode. And Jeepers looks like a real, like a sort of a man bat, but in the original comics, it was much more cartoony, but is a bat creature. Cap even goes, Jeepers at some point, but I don't think he's (laughs) referring to the villain. (laughs) (laughs) Just kind of confusing. But I love to to see that, you know, they went and got some of the, not only just the Fawcett characters, but even paid tribute to that Monster Society of Evil from... All-Star Squadron in the 80s. So it's a really a mishmash of all sorts of concepts that, you know, the writers wanted to put together in this story.
1: Yeah, that that was cool. I, I kind of forgot that that character wasn't a Fawcett, that Oom um wasn't a Fawcett character, but that's right. Yeah, I remember I remember that storyline. There were a few times that Captain Marvel appeared in All-Star Squadron, and I, I think I remember reading that Roy Thomas wanted to use him more, but at that point, I think DC had to pay Fawcett every time they used one of the the Marvel family characters, and they were trying to limit. You know, they didn't just want them in the background. When they used them, they wanted it to be a big, prominent part of the story. And uh, of course, a few years later, they bought them outright, as I said. But you know, it's it's interesting they combine different versions of the Monster Society of Evil, which uh, the Monster Society of Evil of itself was a. It's like one of the first like multi part storylines that carried across many issues of Captain Marvel adventures for, was it like a year or something, or maybe even more than that. And it was like different, you know, the, there were multiple stories in, uh, you know, golden age comics. And there was like a chapter, it was almost like a, like a, a serial, like a, like a movie serial or radio serial. And, you know, you didn't know at first who the, the, the villain was that was behind all this, this Mr. Mind. And then when they reveal it's this tiny worm, you know that was quite a twist. You know that was a M. Night Shyamalan type twi- <laughs> twist in a Golden Age comic book. It, yeah, it's a very famous storyline, and uh, you know I think it's it's too good a concept to leave on the table. It's interesting they combine you know like you said the different versions of it, and then their logo on their table looks just like the Batman villains uh, United Underworld logo from the 1966 Batman film with the squid like crushing the globe. Uh, that's that's dead on what's on the wall in the the villain's lair in the '60s Batman movie. So <laughs> these guys that work on this show are such, I, I mean they are diehard geeky fans just like us. They just happen to you know get their dream gig of of doing a <laughs> doing a show like this, and they stick in everything they can. It's great. <laughs>
0: Spectre from James Bond, Hydra from Marvel. I mean, they've all got that, um, you know, tentacles feel to their groups of villains. One of the things that sort of disappointed me, and it's really because of the uh, Kids Power Hour (laughs) show and my memory of it, is the way the lightning comes down uh, on the characters. Because, well, not not the way the lightning comes down, because that's, you know, a cool effect. It's well done. But when they call down the lightning the first time, because I so remember... That the cartoon show going, you know, Mary and uh, Billy going Shazam, and then Freddy going Captain Marvel. You could hear each one, and the word Shazam was had a punch to it, and then Captain Mm -hmm. Marvel. And they, they all got hit together. In this, they all say it together. So it kind of, you know, Captain Marvel, the words Captain Marvel hide the word Shazam. Uh, so that was less satisfying to me. And in my head, I was always hearing the original cartoon show's way of doing it. Did that strike a note for you at all?
1: Yeah, it did. It was, it was, in, in, in fact, when rewatching this episode, I had, I think in my mind, I had, assumed remembered that they did it like the filmation cartoon and so when they didn't I was even more disappointed this time it's like oh I thought they did it like the filmation cartoon <laughs> and and that's one reason why when I did my history I, I said it like they did you know I, I you know or, or my synopsis I I tried to say you know the certain way that that which actually the voice actor that did um, Freddie on the Kid's Power Hour with Shazam. I, I, I didn't really like. In hindsight, I don't really like his voice. It's a little too high pitched and nasally. But the way he said Captain Marvel, like that, that you know, that that just sticks in my head. That's how he's supposed to say it. You know, with the Shazam, I can I go back and forth between uh, the way the cartoon was and the way Michael Gray would say it. You know, when he almost thirty year old Billy turned into the almost the same age Captain Marvel. You know, but. <laughs> Because he wasn't quite a teenager, folks, when he played that character, but uh, he he was quite a bit smaller than Jackson Boswick, so it, it worked out. Uh, real quick, before I forget, I mentioned Jackson Boswick. I actually met him at a comic convention uh, a few years back, and I had a shirt that had um, all sorts of DC characters on it, and it had uh, by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, name. and uh, it, it had, you know, Captain Marvel, it had a junior and mary on it and he noticed my shirt when we were talking and i got to talk to him for about 20 minutes because we caught him right after he come back from a break and so there wasn't a line at his table and uh he said oh he said you got uh, got uh, junior and mary on your shirt too great you know so so props to jackson bostwick knew those characters even though they were never on his tv show so good on him that impressed me he, he knows this stuff when it comes to the Marvel family. So I was. He, he was a super nice guy too. But I digress. So.
0: <laughs> he did his research. And there's another member of the Marvel family on the uh, on in the episode. Sort of. There's a cameo for Takitani, mm-hmm. who is uh, just like a, just a plush animal in this. Sadly, it was fun to see. You know, I, I could have even stood for more of those little. Cameos. I was almost expect, you know, not having seen this episode before uh, we started doing res- research for the show, mm. I sort of expected the three Marvels and, uh, you know, all sorts. I, I, you know, I was expecting a lot more of the Marvel family, not just the three. I'm not disappointed. Uh, it was already a pretty crowded story. But if we could have seen all of the Marvels somehow, uh, I would have been pretty pleased.
1: Yeah, it was kind of, I was kind of waiting to see Uncle Dudley, especially when it showed mm-hmm. them at, at home. And, I, you know, it's kind of weird when they, when Mary and, and Billy are, you know, go their, they all go their separate ways when they're upset with one another. Aren't they still living in the same house? So <laughs> are they just, uh, are they just staying away from one another while, you know, Mary's on the seesaw and and Billy's, you know, up in his room staring at the checkerboard? Are they just like, you know, they pass each other in the hall and don't talk to each other or yeah, it was, it was, I guess we're not supposed to think that much about it, but, uh, yeah, it would have been nice to have seen, like, the, I didn't bring up the Lieutenant Marvels in the, uh, in the history, uh, because, you know, the history was long enough, but I know that's some of Rob and Shag's favorite characters from Who's the Lieutenant Marvels. So, uh, you yeah, know, it would have been nice to see them or maybe see a stu- the Marvel Bunny. Yeah, the Marvel Bunny, see a stuffed hoppy. Uh, maybe Takitani's like, uh, like Hobbs. You know, he, uh, he's alive in their imagination here, but he's, he's a stuffed animal in real life. I don't know.
0: (laughs) And, and even Batman could have had a stuffed animal, you know, a reason for a stuffed animal since not only was he, you know, had age reversal problems, but he was also acting the part. So when he was a teenager, he had like teenage concerns and it wasn't just, you know, it was a personality shift as well for Batman, Mm -hmm. which made it, uh, you know, an extra layer of fun.
1: Yes, definitely. I I forgot to mention, uh, we talked about who played uh, Captain Marvel, who had a Batman connection. Tara Strong voiced Mary and Billy, uh, which, you know, that's typical. A lot of female uh, voice actors voice, you know, boys like Mark Simpson, for instance. Tara Strong, famous for voicing Batgirl on the new Batman adventures and Harley Quinn and subsequent uh, Arkham video games and uh, heard regularly as Raven on Teen Titans and Teen Titans Go. So she's got a lot of, a lot, a lot, a lot of uh,
0: DC uh, character cred in her resume for sure. So what are the the flaws in this episode?
1: One thing that kind of stood out to me, I've never seen this happen. And I, I think they did it for expediency in the story, but Batman tricks jr into saying captain marvel and the lightning bolt comes and it hits all three of them and changes them so you know i've never seen that work i guess because they're not like right on top of each other if they were all like literally like just like in a cluster just like pounding on each other i could kind of see it working but they were like several feet apart at least and it still changed them you know all changed them but i guess he would have to have him have to trick him into saying Captain Marvel and them into Shazam would have just taken way too long. But, you know, it, it set off my nerd dollar that, you know, it's like, well, wait, that's not right. That's
0: not- <laughs> the chain lightning effect is, or else they wouldn't all have to say their magic words.
1: Right. It, they, when they first changed this time, he probably could have just said Shazam and changed all three of them by the same notion. A- another thing was, there's quite a bit of destruction porn in their battle. um, I'm not sure that fits the otherwise light tone of this episode. I mean, we don't see anyone in danger. But, I mean, there's a lot of buildings getting destroyed in this. And, I mean, you know, at one point, like, Captain Marvel, like, pushes one over on him. I mean, it's, like I said, he uses uh, Freddy as a bat and knocks Mary into a building. I mean, it's Roland Emmerich-type destruction going on here. So, I, I think part of it, too, is we're very sensitive to that nowadays because so many, we've criticized a lot of superhero movies like, you know, Man of Steel, uh, for going overboard with that, so I, I think that's it. It probably didn't even jump out at me when this first aired, but it jumped out at me this time because it's like, oh, here's more of this, you know. So
0: I agree. It's like the city's very much empty. Yeah. <laughs> Or else this doesn't make sense. And it's worse because it's not the villains causing the destruction, even though, yes, Mr. Mind is in their ear. Uh, but he's not in everyone's ear at the same time, you know? it's uh, So there's a lot of destruction caused by the heroes themselves.
1: Yeah, it, that, that's an interesting aspect that he doesn't, like, totally... He just, like, gooses their negative feelings more than, than actually taking them over and changing their disposition. Because once he leaves, they're still... You know, they're still upset with one another. So it's not like they shake their heads and go, what happened? You know, they, they remember what was said. And, and, uh, I thought that was kind of an interesting angle because a lot of times, you know, when it's mind control, they, they're completely oblivious to what they did. And it's a completely foreign notion that, that sets them off on this course. But it's, it's, it really is like it's some kind of, uh, underlying, uh, tension that they just kind of, Uh, ignore through their, you know, a sunny disposition, basically.
0: (laughs) Well, if Mr. Mine had a, uh, like, his best trick, really, is that whatever he made them say was just true enough. Mm -hmm. You know, like, it it was like something that was just true enough that when they snapped out of it, it felt like they'd been forced to say something they'd actually believed mm-hmm. you know at least in the back of their minds or that the others would would take as oh oh, that's oh okay now the truth comes out well let's see who fared better we always do this little mini debate touching on various uh, topics to see who fared better through the uh the team up was it batman or the marvel family
1: i would say batman fared better he apparently kept his intelligence the whole time Hence his normal inner monologue when he was observing the kids. And even as an unintelligible infant, he figured out how to cure himself. The Marvels got played, but Batman generally came out the better in this whole series. The creators, in a kind of tongue-in-cheek way, played into the infallible Bat God bit quite a bit in this in this series. So
0: I know you're supposed to defend the Marvel family here, but Batman is so... Powerful a figure. I mean, this is really relates the same way that um, the episode I did with Bass on Brave and the Bold with uh, Batman and the Atom where Batman is dead and the Atom is just controlling him from inside his brain. And Batman still came out better uh, in the end because this was the guy that somehow unconsciously, just Batman's reflexes are enough to beat the villains in that one. You know, Batman, whether he's dead or a baby, still wins the day. (laughs) How does this uh, fit... Uh, with their the normal stories of each of the characters and their atmospheres is this more of a just looking at it and the feel of it is it more of a Marvel family uh story or is it more of a Batman story
1: I kind of think it's more of a Marvel family story because you're in their city you're they're fighting their villains and uh, you know diehard Fawcett fans may agree but I think this episode feels true to the Marvels Except for that resolution. I, I, I should have put that in my, you know, problem thing. But, it, you know, it was, they have the wisdom of Solomon. I think they could have gave them that one little moment where they figured out that the growth ray might change Batman back. Batman already got him back together. He did his part, you know, so that could have been enough. I mean, without him coming to their, their aid and sending those little cute pictures, they may have remained estranged and perhaps even retired or something. So it, it seems that way, you know, but yeah, I think they could have gave him that one little win at the end. It would have been nice, you know, but, uh, yeah, yeah i i overall i think it's it feels like Batman has come into a marvel family story and kinda you know saved the day in their own in their own story, which in keeping with what we just said is kind of what Batman does on the series so
0: I guess the level of silliness and whimsy of their brand sort of causes him to become a teenager like them and I would agree with that i you know, the wisdom of Solomon and all, those are traits that aren't played up uh, well, even in comics. Uh, you don't often see Captain Marvel being wise or showing godlike wisdom. Because even in this, if uh, even before the finale, just their tiff, their family tiff, wisdom would have fixed the problem, I would say. Right because they're very very immature in that moment and the the wisdom of Solomon fails them good point yeah yes
1: <laughs> and I, and you're right I I don't it might just be there because they needed an S for Shazam because a lot of times uh, they don't seem to call on that very well uh, you know there, there are instances I can think of in stories where they did but a lot of times you know it's you know what is wisdom you know to a point I mean is it is it just being intelligent and being able to figure out solve problems what you know but it does seem odd that you know Batman is literally literally an infant who can't even talk. He's just cooing and points, and he, he points him to the ray when it, it could have been their win. You know, that could have been the... It would have helped them save a little face at the end of the story, I think.
0: So what's the coolest move that uh, the the Marvels pull off?
1: I think the coolest move is the fact that Mary gets to KO the giant Mr. Mine, because uh, you've got this really monstrous-looking mutation of Mr. Mine, who now has, like, these huge claws, and he's, he's getting ready to... Uh, you know spear baby batman and uh or toddler batman and captain marvel and and junior fly in and grab the claw but then mary comes in and just knocks him down i mean she punches him down and he falls into the the buildings, and I thought that was cool that they, you know, gave Mary that uh, that moment. You know, you it would have, you probably would have thought they would have used Captain Marvel for that, and the, the two kids would have caught the the claw, and, and Captain Marvel would have, you know, decked him. But uh, seeing Mary do it was was really cool.
0: Yeah, they get a lot of hero shots, you know, just the way they they fly down, and then there's a lot of love visually for all three characters mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah that's a good moment uh, for batman i would say that it's really it's using his brain because it is when he calls down the lightning when he tricks junior into uh, saying the word and uh, getting the you know lightning down each of the heroes who are fighting at that point i think that's his best moment you could say that Uh, It's when he uses psychology, when he draws all those pictures and sends them to the Marvel family so they feel bad about their fight. I I wouldn't even call that pop psychology. I don't even know how that's supposed (laughs) to be. It's pretty simple, but uh, cute. But I think his better moment is tricking the Marvel family into reverting to the Batsons.
1: I I like that. Even, Even if it did kind of break the... The comic code of them calling different their own lightning down. Mm.
0: (laughs) What about dumb or weird moves? There are always some, uh, you know, trying to fit different characters into the same story. What is uh, the Marvel family's dumbest or weirdest move?
1: Again, I got to go back to that. I don't mean to beat it to death, but that the whole wisdom of Solomon isn't smarter than infant Batman thing. Uh, That just... That really, you know, at the end, I, I guess I kind of forgot that. I, I expected them to be, oh, wait a minute, we can use the growth ray, you know, uh, and uh, they didn't. That's probably, you know, the, and of course, the fact that they that they instantly give in to these feelings that— uh, Mind has uh, these nasty things they've said and have done because of Mind's manipulation. Yeah, but that's that's part of the story. You know, they have to do that for the for the story to work. And and they are kids after all. And after he's Batman's got them to transform into kids, well then they're just normal they're just normal kids who
0: you're right get their feelings hurt easily. So for Batman, I I would go with a weird move. <laughs> I'd say that the poopy diaper uh, move. I, I'm I'm gonna say it's a move. Because, okay, Batman turns into a baby and loses uh, control over his bowels, I guess. But it's what makes Mr. Mind, or the giant Mr. Mind, not kill him right then and there. Because he recoils from the smell. So <laughs> so I'm saying, my headcanon, that Batman at that point pooped on purpose. And <laughs> what other weapon does he have at that point? Uh, he's a baby. So uh, he poops. Mr. Mind is is, uh, stunned, let's say. That gives him a chance to pull on that lever and uh, for the Marvels to come in and, you know, finish the story. So the poopy diaper is one of Batman's weirdest moves ever. (laughs) His
1: weirdest move is a bowel move. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's a question for you. If he really did, you know, poop, then when he turns back into an adult... (laughs)
0: oh my god
1: oh that that's you know that's uh i know that's an awful uh, that but i mean come on you know i mean did it just disappear i mean what you know i i I hate to even go in that direction but yeah luckily he had his bat depends on you know underneath or something i don't know but
0: well the whole thing the whole thing was bizarre in the sense that you know no matter how small he became the costume still fit
1: right yeah
0: you know and he, he got back his uh is uh, baby teeth. And I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's absurd, but uh, funny. Right. No. It, it
1: reminds me a little bit of the uh, justice league unlimited episode, kids stuff mm-hmm. where uh, they all change into kids because uh, Mordred, Morgan LeFay's son is, is cast a spell that's gotten rid of all adults. And so they have to turn into kids to go back in and try to stop him. And, and they meet Etrigan who's been turned into a baby and Etrigan has a poopy diaper. And uh, they're like they're all handing him off, and and they say this looks like a job for Superman, and they hand him off to Superboy, <laughs> and it's just... <laughs> so there can be some fun diaper humor in uh, DC cartoons. Who knew?
0: <laughs> what about the friendly farewell? So this is the team up tradition where uh, our heroes have to say goodbye at the end, and sometimes it's uh, friendly, and sometimes it's not so friendly. But in Brave and the Bold, it's usually very friendly. Yes.
1: And in this case, it's, it is very friendly. It's a very quick wrap up, but, you know, Mary is, misses, she says she misses baby Batman. And, you know, Batman, who seems a little flustered in this episode by Mary's attentions when he's a teenager, as you said, his voice cracks at the very end. That and, and was a cute way to end it and to maybe show that maybe, you know, Batman's, uh, the effects haven't quite completely worn off just yet. It's, it's a, It'd be interesting to see if he bumped into uh, Robin or Nightwing right after this happened, what he would think of (laughs) Batman's voice cracking. (laughs) Uh,
0: And sometimes we could say uh, socially one of the heroes comes off better but in this case i think it's uh you know it's a end of the episode where everyone's smiling and laughing yeah so i think they're all pretty even in that moment it's a better farewell than he had with commandy where it's he's very friendly with commandy but you know threatens dr canis with leash laws which is a little insensitive yeah uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah it was it was a it was a cute joke but if you if you put it in the context of you know he just told commandy and dr canis that they're welcome to come through the portal of justice, you know, whenever they want to, but then he tells him well, you better beat it, you don't have a leash on, you know? It's
0: <laughs> yeah, that's not so great. Uh, but with the Marvels, it's, uh, it's a very happy farewell. We'll take a break for a couple of promos. Uh, we'll be back to wrap things up.
1: Coming soon from Amalgam Comics. Orphaned when his parents are brutally murdered before him. Young Bruce Batson follows a mysterious bat into an abandoned subway tunnel which leads to a cave outside Fotham City. There he meets the ancient wizard, Alfred, who grants him the detective skills of Sherlock Holmes, the strength of Hercules, the stamina of Atlas, the skills of Zorro, the bravery of Baldur, the courage of Achilles, and the swiftness of Tarzan. With one magic word, Shazbat, Young Bruce is transformed into the mightiest of mortal beings, Captain Flatermouse! Together with his sister Barbara Batson and their friend Dick Freeman, there are the fantastic Flatermouse family protecting Fotham from such evils as Professor Hugo Savannah, Mr. Brain Freeze, and the killer Crocodile Men.
0: Justice League International, Blah Ha, ha Podcast, a new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M.D. Mateus, will be going issue by issue in release order. Tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI
2: members, such as Martian Manhunter, Batman, Dr. Fate, Black Canary, Fire, Ice, Maxwell Lord, Oberon, Captain Marvel, Rocket Red, Captain Adam, Mister Miracle, Guy Gardner, Booster
0: Gold, Blue Beetle, Nort,
2: and many, many more. Justice League International, BlahhaHa ha Podcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? Batman Nightcast, a thrilling new podcast from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Hosted by Ryan Daly
1: and Chris Franklin, Nightcast chronicles the Cape Crusaders' adventures in Batman and Detective Comics after Crisis on Infinite Earth.
2: Highlights from this legendary era include Batman No. 400, Legends,
1: Mike Barr and Alan
2: Davis, Batman Year One,
1: Batman Year Two,
2: Max Allen Collins, UGH, um, the new Jason Todd, UGH, Millennium? You're not
1: doing this right, let me take over,
2: Alan Grant and Norm
1: Fogel. Alan Grant from Jurassic Park. Did you hear me say Norm freaking Brayfogle? Oh yeah. Son of the Demon. The Killing Joke. A Death in the Family.
2: Batman Year 3.
1: A Lonely Place of Dying.
2: Alan Grant, Alan Davis, Max Allen Collins. Why are there so many people named Alan from this era of Batman?
1: The Rise of Tim Drake.
2: Legends of the Dark
1: Knight. And that's just up until 1989.
2: Did anything exciting happen with Batman after that?
1: You'll have to tune in to
2: find out. Batman Nightcast, part of the Fire & Water Podcast Network.
1: Find it on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com.
2: Oh, we forgot to mention your favorite issue, When Batman Fires Dick Grayson.
0: You want to find another co-host? We're back. One final feature, the bonus team-up, in which each of us proposes the perfect Marvel family team-up. So, Chris, who do you team-up the Marvel family with if you had, you know, unlimited... uh, access to any character in the universe.
1: Well, this is not likely to happen given the competition between the two parent companies, but I pick the Marvel family and the Incredibles. How cool would it be to see these two families team up because you could have Freddy and Violet develop a romance, Dash and annoys marry to death, and... Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl are shocked when they see their near-contemporary, Captain Marvel, changing to yet another kid they feel they have to keep in line. Billy would then have to prove that he deserves a respect as they battle Dr. Savannah, who has taken over Edna Moat's costume design compound and outfitted his evil kids with her weaponized tights.
0: Wow. Well, it's got the same kind of tone that you would like to strike for each of these properties, right? The Incredibles are very much... You know, Marvel family sort of feeling and tone to it, more than Fantastic Four, say.
1: Yeah, lots of red, though. That's the only thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: everybody's in red. <laughs> uh, good thing for Junior. For yeah. me, I, I would... Here's my idea. Marvel family and Dial H for hero. And I mean the, the Chris, <clears throat> Vicky, and Nick... Version from New Adventures of Superboys backups. Uh, the story would imagine them all going to the same high school. Maybe it's an exchange program, you know, Fawcett or Fairfax, whichever. And depending on what villain you want to use, basically. And with the comedy, Expected of uh, schoolmates having to excuse themselves to become adult-looking heroes in secret, but you know they they don't know why everybody's you know leaving the room kind of thing until later they find out that you know their identities. I would further make sure that the dialed heroes are actually tributes to the characters of Hero High from the Kids Superpowers Hour, which is am so Weatherman, (laughs) Captain California, Glorious Gals, because I remember those characters just as well as I do the Marvel Family from that cartoon. Oh, wow. So I, I would probably, you know, not do the, obviously wouldn't be uh, reader suggestions. I mean, they don't do that anymore for Dial H. But the Dialed Heroes would act. We would be, you know, sort of like Weatherman, sort of like Captain California uh, with his, like, amazing smile that it shines brightly, that stuff uh, I remember so well. So um, that would be my team up. Cool. I'd, I'd buy that. That sounds awesome. Shazam! <laughs> and then H-E-R-O. So uh, this is the, I must say, this is the last episode of the first season. I haven't really spoken about this since the very beginning, but FW Team Up for now is a series of blocks. A summer block, this is the end of the summer block, and then another, like a winter block with perhaps some specials here and there. I can't go through Christmas without doing a special Christmas episode, for example. And we might have others Mm. planned, uh, and uh, I'll still be teaming up with a variety of podcasters from our network and... ...from outside our network. We have a lot of friends, after all. So, this is the end of the block. Thanks for teaming up with me, Chris, for this particular episode.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. It was fun.
0: And can you remind people where they can find you?
1: I'm all over the place on FireAndWaterPodcast.com. I host the Supermates podcast with my wife, Cindy, which we're getting ready to get into our House of Frankenstein Halloween series. Uh, I co-host Batman Nightcast with Ryan Daly... And, uh, we are in getting ready to jump into Batman year two, and we're in the middle of the, uh, Max Allen Collins run on Batman, which is a whole lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, Rob and I are, Rob Kelly and I are getting ready to launch Superman Movie Minute very soon. And, uh, there's a couple other little shows that pop up here and there, but that's the majority of where you can find me. I'm all over the place nowadays on on the network. So you'll, you'll hear me eventually. So.
0: Uh, and a reminder that we do enjoy reading your comments. I might even read them at some point w- during one of the specials. And the best place for that is FireAndWaterPodcast.com. You can also visit the Fire and Water Podcast Network Facebook page or tag us on Twitter using the hashtag FWPodcasts. Uh, so see you next time for another amazing superhero team-up because, after all, justice is a team effort.
2: Shazam! Captain Marvel!